Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Happy Sunday and happy Halloween. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta, dating mentor and founder of singleinthecity.ca. And tonight I'm joined by my friend, the lovely, beautiful philanthropist and media personality, Joan Kelly Walker. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And hello, Joan. Hi there. Thanks always for having me. Of course. Love having you. Joan's in sunny Florida, Miami right now. I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah it's pretty beautiful. How can couples effectively deal with the strains that finances can put on relationships? Our guest tonight is Asil Elbaba. She's a financial therapist and the CEO of Conscious Economics. She has a deep understanding of the strains that finances can have on relationships and helps couples overcome the roadblocks that come with this kind of strain. So tonight, we're going to be discussing the impact that financial strain can have on relationships, why women earning more can cause unsettlement, and how couples can work together to overcome these issues for a stronger relationship. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Asil. My pleasure. Really good to be here. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so I would love uh, to hear more about what it is that you do and, and how you help people in the financial world. My class started more on the practical pieces of financial management. I used to be a financial planner in the corporate world. So that's the typical role where I would sit with individuals, understand their goals, whether it's uh, short-term goals or retirement plans, and put an investment strategy along with different tools to help them achieve their desired financial well-being. So it was more dealing with um, like debt management, investment strategies, cash flow um, management tools, so very practical pieces of money. But with time, I kept hearing like every other client would come in, even though had they have the intentions to discuss their money, what they end up bringing up are, uh, you know, their relationships or their careers or their anxiety, um, their emotions. And sooner or sooner, like they started calling me their therapist. Um, And I realized there's a lot of truth to that because money is such an emotional topic and you can't necessarily deal with emotional uh, issues with logical tools. So I decided to go back to school to become a psychotherapist. And right now I'm a a therapist in training and merging both fields to to actually become um, interdisciplinary with with my approach to money. And later I realized I live in Canada, but in the U.S. there's actually a financial therapy association that has been around for over a decade now that started right after the 2008 market crash. And mainly because the need for this area just arose from this um, market crash when people needed uh, help with both reconciling their emotions and psychological issues with money, but also needing practical pieces as well to to yield the results they desire. So this is a quick synopsis on the field. It's up and rising, and I think uh, we, we only started scratching the surface with it, but there's a lot more in this area to explore. Aceel, I love what you said about money being an emotional topic. I, you know, I'm sort of wondering, like, does everybody see it that way? Or they just sort of got this underlying 
turmoil about it that is kind of like a taboo subject and people don't want to talk about it? Or are you finding that it's coming more and more out, it, you know, as like common understanding that mm-hmm. there's a lot of emotions tied to money? So I feel like most of us never received education, not only in financial literacy, but also emotional literacy. Like the, the vocabulary that we have to understand our emotions is quite limited in, in our society. And no matter what our background is. So this is definitely something that is increasing in awareness across the board. Um, but our experience and our emotions around money definitely shape how we perceive uh, money and how we support subsequently behave with it. Uh, actually, in 2002, the psychologist Daniel Kamen, he won a Nobel Prize because he came up with a lot of evidence to support that contrary to popular belief, we just never make financial decisions based on logic. We actually are way more emotional than we are logical with our finances. So it is becoming more and more uh, a fact that is established and, and people are becoming more aware of it. So if you think about it, four out of five, five of our decisions around money depend on our emotions and how we perceive our choices, uh, which, which makes emotions a very key important area to understand in order for us to make proper money decisions. Mm. Now, I know that the shifting of traditional gender roles is something that can definitely and is having an impact on relationships. I mean, with women finding themselves making more money than their partners, right? Um, what have you seen happen in relationships where this is the case, where the, you know, the woman's bringing home more money than, than the hubby, let's say? Yes. So there's actually a beautiful book published specifically on this topic called When She Makes More by Farnoosh Jarabi. And she came up with a 10, uh, 10 pieces of advice for women who are making more, particularly because she realized that not only is this becoming increasingly the case, uh, in fact, 40% of women out-earn their partners in the U.S. And I suspect it being more um, North Americans, so Canada can also fall under that statistics. But yet, it remains to be such a taboo area that is mixed with so much complexity, and we kind of dance around the topic given how uncomfortable it is. The um, the gender roles is a big part of it, but the bigger part of it is all these meanings and associations we have with money to begin with, and wh- what it means to make money, what it means to be the breadwinner of the family, so naturally, uh, because these topics are taboo and they're not necessarily understood, there's so much layers uh, around them. And uh, there's a new, the, you know, there's this concept of financial infidelity that is now being studied um, that is increasingly um you know, becoming more the case around couples who have disparities in their income. So not only infidelity, but financial infidelity specifically, which is a form of obviously infidelity and lack of transparency and trust between between the couple. So the the statistics show that when women out earn their male partners, they're just likely to remain single. And if they're not single, they're more likely to have a rocky marriage or, or at least feel the pressure to work less and, and potentially get divorced. Um, another another statistics show that when men uh, depend on their female partners for salaries, there are five more 
times likely to cheat on their on their women than men who make similar income. So statistics speak for itself, and it's still I feel um, new. Like there's so much more for us to uncover in this area than we, what we've already uncovered, um, and and I'm really excited for the research to to help us really uncover why this is happening and most importantly what we can do with it mm. well you know i'm just listening and i'm thinking we've worked so hard you know yes. to gain women's <laughs> rights and to gain our yeah. votes and you know it seems like it's like have we hit a wall uh, i don't think we've hit a wall at all i think now we are actually really advancing in in our awareness and becoming more intentional and mindful and more conscientious as a society overall. So one of the things I would support clients in this area to to do is really start reflecting on the the their background. So for example, reflect on the roles your parents and caregivers had in money, like growing up, what did you see your father do? How did your mom handle financial uh, situations? How did they manage trust or financial fights? Because having insights on your upbringing, and not just in, when it comes to your caregivers or parents, but also culturally and, and the elements of how religion how religion played a role and all these different influence, influences definitely played a role in how or the belief systems that you carry today. And more people are, are definitely aware of that today more than ever. So it's uh, something that's gonna continue shifting as, as we bring light and create spaces like this to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and how can couples, you know, where the woman is the breadwinner in, in the relationship start to overcome um, this and anything negative, um, any negative emotions attached to that and, and change the way that, you know, maybe they see gender and earning roles in a relationship as more of a, a positive thing. Um, so I definitely support having a professional be like the mediator for couples to explore these, uh, um, these situations. But the most important thing is to like start reflecting on these things as a couple and and understanding the, like, first of all, leveling the financial playing field, just because one person's making more money than the other, it's important to balance the power dynamics so that when you're discussing these things as a couple, there's equal opportunities for interests to be met. You want to walk away with a win-win situation rather than somebody controlled in its entirety just because they're the one who, who are making more money. And and usually that's what usually happens when there's uh, mis- a big disparity in income. The language of togetherness suffers. So the person who's making more money starts referring to their goal, their money versus our goals and our money. And that's really where, where situations become just harder to address. But we need to take yeah. a break. We're going to come right back to you. We're going to also be discussing how finances can affect relationships and how couples can work through these issues when we come back. Stay with us. Back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca 
on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. And we are back. This is the Dating and Relationship Show. It's Halloween night. <laughs> and this is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta with Joan Kelly Walker and our special guest, Asil El Baba, uh, discussing the type of strain that finances can put on relationships. So before the break, we were talking about how couples can change the way that they see gender and their own roles as income earners within their relationship. So ACL, can you continue with that? Because it's it's really fascinating. There's so many things that influence it, like, like you know, your background, your parents, your culture, your religion, and all those things. So how does a, a couple in this day and age tackle those big issues? Absolutely. So we were talking about the importance of uh, reflecting on these issues between yourself first and then creating a space where you're able to have these conversations with your partner. When you um, give perspective to your partner to why you have the belief systems that you have, uh, what are the fears that you're dealing with, what are some of the things that come up to you when you discuss uh, financial situations, then it, first of all, it, it expands the compassion. Like we're looking at things from a more um, compassion lens and we're able to understand each other much deeper when we share these particular stories with each other. Um, so it's not just about like, um, I, I, I want to buy uh, luxurious items or I care about spending this much money a month or I'm scared some people have the opposite. You know, we talk a lot about people who are spendaholics or in other words, shopaholics, but we also miss the other spectrum where some individuals have fear of spending money. And when when we start bringing light to these situations and bringing understanding to why we operate this way and bringing commitments and consistency to what we want to do about it, then it offers and opens the room for us to collaborate with each other, um, with our partners in other words. So it's important to start bringing awareness to that and creating a consistent plan to work through, which a professional can help you put together. Yeah, and what about looking at someone's, what about having these discussions before you get married or partner up with someone and like really taking a look at someone's earning potential? You know, like why is it not an issue prior to marriage or like why why does it have to be an issue um, down the road, like, like I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it probably is dating. Yeah. I, I wonder if, if people are dating, should they be having this conversation? I definitely, definitely support that. And I think of course. issues do exist even in the dating phase. Like whenever somebody goes on a date, some of the first questions their friends ask them, like who pays for it? And these things right away come up um, indicating some sort of uh, almost criteria that people, whether consciously or subconsciously, evaluate that person based on. So there's also like a theory about why people get married. It's called like the marriage theory. And and what that really suggests is that people are constant. It's almost looking at marriage as an equation. Like, am I better off? Is my overall utility in life better off marrying that person or not? And what usually happens is when you're evaluating a partnership, you're evaluating the specific uh, things that that person brings into the household financially and the, the things that they bring into the household not financially. And throughout the years, the man somehow assumed the financial role while the woman assumed the non-financial contributions. So what happens is when women become the breadwinners and now they are assuming the financial contributions, 
men have a hesitancy taking on the other piece, which is the non-financial contributions, the chores, bringing up the children, etc. And that's where the discrepancy um, further separates people because women who ends up earning more money tend to also take on more housework, uh, which uh, because they want to compensate for, for feeling less feminine. So now we are overworked and overstretched across all the areas in our lives and our resentment naturally increases with that. So these issues are so key to discuss earlier on before we get to that resentment phase. Um, because it helps us understand what are the value systems we're operating from, what are the gender roles and the expectations in this household, et cetera. So, for example, I'm, I just got married two weeks ago, so I can't really give you marriage advice per se. Um, but, but with my partner, I mean, we've discussed these issues before. He works really long hours, and his ability to contribute to our household chores are very limited so instead of him contributing with with him like sweeping the floor for example he would contribute by hiring a maid um once a month for example Uh, and this way he's still contributing but he chose to contribute differently than physically doing the, the the labor work himself and that's simply because he doesn't have the hours that allow him to do so um so it's important that we brought this up and discussed it so we don't fall under these um, you know, standardized and, and really hard, like archaic um, gender roles. Yeah, I love. Well, that. congratulations on your marriage. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But I totally agree with everything that you said. I mean, you've got to have these conversations early on in your relationship, yeah. and I'm talking like early, even as early as like three months, six months. You know, when 100%. you start, even like when you start getting a little serious, like. Because the last thing you want to do is get really serious with someone, and then you know you haven't had these conversations, and then you're in two years later, you're 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 in deep, and you have start having these conversations, and you're not on the same page, right? It's like, oh man, like, and, and you've got to have these conversations early. Like, what is look at someone's earning potential? You know, you want to have the conversations on gender roles. You know, um, what the financial contributions are going to look like. Conversations early, and what about the flip side where someone feels that their spouse isn't earning enough money? They're not contributing enough financially. How can couples deal with that? That's a very important point. And my first question to that uh, person is like, what is enough? Sometimes enough is a perception, and sometimes it's really based on concrete facts. As in, we simply can't pay the bills with this income. So it's important to step back and 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 evaluate. What does that concept of enough come from? Are you falling behind each month and your income simply is not meeting as neat? Or do you just feel that um, you're earning more and that's why you now have this expectation that your partner should should level up or start out-earning you? So there's different ways to approach that based on where is that question coming from. So the, the first thing I would suggest is to... You know, this is this is going to be part of the conflict uh, framework resolution that I've that I've you know I'm here to discuss with you as well to how you can approach that because these conflict resolution framework really helps set the stage. But the most important thing I would 
suggest to any couple is to facilitate these conversations using, a, using an objective third party, simply because of how sensitive these issues are and how tricky and, and navigating them can, can become. It's very complex. So having a third party person, whether it's a financial planner or a financial therapist or a money coach, can really facilitate this good discussion and help us um, make it less emotionally tense than it can be. Hmm. That's a big conversation. Yeah, big, yeah. You know, you have to have it, but also you have to have the conversation. Like if, if both people are working, regardless of their income, like how do you divide the household tasks? And things like, like it's, a, it's a massive conversation. And other people have told me that as soon as you start dating, it's never too soon to start to have these conversations. It's not oh, yeah. because these conversations are also linked to your identity and massively like it's, we're not just talking about dollars and cents here. When we talk about money, we're talking about value systems. We're talking about how you how you see the world, the relationship you have with people and others. There's so many layers around that are connected to the topic of money, which is why it's important to bring it up earlier on, uh, because it's a huge part of you, your, how you operate in the world as an individual as well. And that's why financial therapy is the same because it helps us address these areas that are otherwise missed. Uh, let's, well, let's talk more about financial issues um, and how they really affect relationships because we know that finances are the leading cause of stress in a relationship. Well, prior to the pandemic, I mean, finances were the leading cause of stress in a relationship. I mean, I, yeah. I'm i not sure if it is, it still stands. <laughs> um, but what are some of the most common issues, I'm curious, that, that you see, Asil? What are some of the issues that you see when it comes to money? And hmm. there's, there's five common ones that I would bring up. The first is workaholism, and that's when either one or both partners become very addicted to work and naturally the relationship drifts apart as a result of that. Um, you have financial infidelity. There's so many layers to financial infidelity and so many, um, uh, so basically it can show up from as simple as buying something and lying about it, like something small or subtle like that to major, making major financial uh, contributions or having even bank accounts that the other is not aware of, or even that that the other person is not aware of. So there's layers to financial fidelity, but that's a really common one. Um, financial enablement is a third one, and financial enablement is basically when when you help when you have the intention of helping someone, but indirectly you're hurting yourself in the process. It's very common between parents and children, but it's also common between couples, especially if one person out-earns the other. Um, so financial enablement basically stifles the other person from figuring out their own stuff because they become very dependent on you and sabotage your own success in the process. Then you have financial avoidance. This is really common across the board. It really shows up massively in in couples as well, simply because as a society, we also are not comfortable with conflict and, and with money being a topic that's easy for to have a lot of conflict arise from it, avoiding not just the, the topic of money, but conflict along the way, uh, it generates, generates financial avoidance 
uh, in general. And the last one I would mention is financial power struggles. And that's simply because there's usually uh, subtle power dynamics that come naturally with, with somebody making more money. So they feel more entitled to make more decisions. They feel more, um, you know, entitled in general. So, so that's, these are the five things that I see very commonly uh, across, across couple so issues. You mentioned in money infidelity. That's like hiding money from yourself. It's, it shows up many, many different ways. Hiding money from your spouse is one way uh, it shows up, but it could also be like having debt that you don't tell about or, or uh, taking money, taking money. Shopping, yeah. Shopping. I, oh, yeah, yeah, these shoes, I've had them in my closet forever. And it's like, meanwhile, you just bought them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't yeah. have done it before. Uh, well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> okay, I want to ask you ladies this. Do you feel it's wrong to hide money from your spouse if there are no children involved? I would because what about, okay, wait, because what about the couples that have their own bank accounts, right? That happens. I know people like... Yeah, I definitely encourage, I think the best way to go about it is to have my account, your account, and our accounts. It's important to have uh, autonomy no matter the relationship and how long you've been in it. Autonomy is so key. But but hiding means you don't let them know that you have that account. Um, And that takes away from transparency and trust. So I'm against having it without their knowing, but I'm so pro having your own autonomy. And I want to hear Joan's perspective, but we need to take a break. So right after the break, you don't want to miss this. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. And we're back on the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bilotta with Joan Kelly Walker tonight. And we're talking about or we're discussing how couples can change their financial mindset with our special guest, Asil El Baba. Now, before the break, I had asked Asil um, how she felt about hiding money from your spouse, especially if there are no children involved. And, you know, because there are a lot of couples that have their own bank accounts. So now I want to hear from Joan. Joan, I'd love to hear your perspective. Hmm. Well, you know, I totally agree with ACL that hiding money takes away from transparency and trust. But I think if you both agree that, okay, this account is yours and here's how we replenish the money that's in there and this one is mine and that's how, where the money comes from. I think there's a lot of power in that because if I want to buy something that my husband might think is frivolous, but I really don't need like another purse or a pair of shoes or something, I don't want to have to justify every single little thing to him because then that sort of takes away my power and my uh, ability to make my own choices. So, you know, I'm kind of on the fence with this one. I fully believe in transparency and trust. Um, but I also think that we need to serve ourselves. And if having your own bank account serves that purpose, then why not? So, ACL, like, do we have our own accounts or not? What do you advise for people? So let me clarify. So what, what I meant is it's important for you to have autonomy so you don't have to actually justify every single purchase you want to do. Um, and when you lead with transparency, then you're able to allocate an account that's yours, an account that's that that's your partner's and accounts that's for both of you, which takes care of joint expenses. And when you're doing that, uh, everything is transparent, but uh, but everyone's aware of the accounts that exist. 
simultaneously with deaths or other things that are accumulated along the way. So that keeps the, as long as transparency is the foundation that you're building your financial health on, then there's no right or wrong formula. Every couple is going to have unique things that they, they agree on. But as long as transparency is the foundation of that, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have another question that um, it, it's kind of changing the subject a bit, but I'm curious. How do you advise a division of assets if there's a breakdown in the marriage? Oh, there's actually lots of experts that specialize in this specific uh, formula because there's so many layers to to this that than we can imagine. It's based on how long you've been together, uh, how much contribution each person did for that specific asset, if there's dependents uh, like children or other dependents that you're taking care of together. Um, so there's also it depends on the financial stability of that person after the breakup, like what is their income? So there's so many variables that play into that equation and that's why there's experts to look into not just the face value of the present, but also the history of how things came about uh, and also the future of where do people go from here? So I definitely suggest seeking an expert advice and and also getting legal counsel because it's important to make sure you're protected. But I'm always a proponent of proactivity. And and before you find yourself in that situation where these things are happening, it's important to be proactive and think about these things ahead of time so that when if separation is needed, then you're at least prepared to how to move forward versus being surprised by all these decisions that are overwhelming. And, you know, I I love everything that you're saying. And talking about money can be so hard to do. It is. It's not easy for everybody. So um, what are some things that we can do to make ourselves more comfortable with finances and having open conversations about them? I think it's a combination of, like, practical tools with money, but also mindfulness practices. And that's because I was saying earlier, we've really never received... Uh, financial literacy, but also emotional literacy. So tools that um, help us navigate the space are usually a mix of practical, emotional, uh, also psychological and somatic. So we need a comprehensive way to help us deal with these issues. Um, And it's a unique journey for everybody. And one of the things I definitely suggest is creating something I call like a money date. Uh, I have a money date with myself, like when I sit down and and go through my finances, but also with my partner. And when you create a money date, it's important to create an environment where you strip away the fear and the anxiety of the of the experience. So I actually light candles. I I literally make it a date environment. I I have a box of chocolates. I'm not joking. And I, I I actually make myself tea. And that's because on a psychological level, I'm tricking my brain to. Ex- to start associating the experience of sitting down to look at money with something positive. So something that I originally feared because I, I grew up in poverty and I had a lot of struggles with money. Um, so money obviously was a huge uh, anxiety inducing experience for me. But when I started creating a positive environment in which I would sit down and talk uh, about money with my partner or, or even between me and myself, then it was it creates a pattern shift in my mind and I'm no longer fearing that experience because of the positive uh, shift I created for it. 
and that's just one example of many. Obviously, it's a it's a journey, and there's so many different exercises to do along the way. But that's just like one small example. Probably stay off the alcohol, right? When you're talking about money, <laughs> stay yeah, away well, from it. <laughs> well, I love that. I've never heard of that before. Light candles, sit down, have a date <laughs> with yourself. It's amazing. Yeah, I even used to do that with my clients because when I used to be a financial planner, I recognized the anxiety my my clients bring into the office. And one of them um, had so much anxiety that she would often either cancel last minute or not show up or whatever. So I started helping her creating um, a habit either right before or right after our appointment with like a positive reinforcement, basically. So after each financial planning session she would have with me, her and I would walk and get her favorite latte or something. And just something subtle like that helps her at least create a positive, just like when you go to the dentist when you were a kid and they give you like a candy or something on the way out. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. We need to take a break though. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to form better money habits, both personally and as a couple. Stay with us. Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It's Sunday night. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca with the beautiful Joan Kelly Walker and our guest, Asil El Babi. Is it El Babi or Al Baby? Al <laughs> Baba, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, baby. Well, let's get back to our chat. I should change it to baby, though. That's fun. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, we're going to get back to our chat on how couples can set themselves up for success when it comes to finances. So the goal of what we're talking about is to form better money habits, both as an individual and as a couple. So what is, like, how do we do that? What's the best way to get started? So when we... You know, it's very interesting because my favorite trauma expert, Gabor Mate, when he discusses the topic of addiction, for example, he says, as a society, we, we, we ask, why are we addicted? But we forget to ask, why are we in pain to begin with? And I think this very similar thing applies to the concept of money. We jump into what habits can I create? How can I fix my money issues? But we need to really step back and say, why are we having money issues to begin with? And what are what is the pain associated with money? And bringing awareness to this topic is important because it helps us address the issue from the root. So not put a bandage solution that's going to, uh, you know, help us save money over the next few months, but really cultivate a healthy, essential, and mindful relationship with money moving forward in, in general. So this is my views on it. It's cultivating financial health requires us to step back and understand all the different layers that play the role in, in helping us uh, do, treat money the way we do. So the first component is really bringing awareness to that um, through through seeking professional support, but also uh, journaling and, and reflection prompts around money that can be very, very eye-opening in this area. And the second I would say is to, to start small and, and really the from an action perspective, so after the awareness piece is introduced, 
the the moving forward piece is usually a combination of financial literacy tools and mindfulness practices. So every person have a different, uh, you know, behavioral changes that they desire. So it would be a customized approach to what that person is looking to do. But one of the things I strongly recommend is a tool called uh, FSJ, which is Future Self Journaling. Um, but that's really about helping you visualize and understand what kind of future you want to create. And that gives you a lot of empowerment because you're able to not just put money away because you know you have to save, but really start associating these saving goals with exciting uh, goals that you really want to achieve. Um, and I remember this because one of my clients had a huge saving issue. She would not save to save <laughs> no matter what happens. And a big part of her anxiety was because she had a lot of doubt about her capability and her future. And she admitted to me one day when we were exploring this topic, she said, I never save because I just don't know what I'm saving for. And it's that anxiety about her future that prevented her from saving, even though the habit of saving itself can, can practically take care of itself once you address the emotional layers underneath it. Because what's important to understand here is our financial habits are actually secondary problems to emotional layers that are primary. So this is important to understand and addressing the root of the problem helps us achieve sustainable results. Hmm. And, you know, right now with COVID and everything, like a lot of people were trying to do the right thing and they were planning and they were starting small and doing all those things, but the best laid plans can, you know, get all messed up pretty quickly. So like if, yeah. if a family had two incomes and they were covering expenses and all of a sudden there's a loss of job, uh, that's like an emergency. What what do you do in that emergency state? So, so this is a, a big of a general question because if you lost a job, it, it depends on do you have emergency funds to sustain you? Do you have access to, to lines of credit or uh, sources of, or maybe even when people lose a job, maybe you are capable of downsizing or uh, at least reducing your expenses so that you operate from a one income um, perspective until the other person finds a job again. So there's a whole bunch of different things you can do, especially depending on the country you live in, depending on your overhead costs as a, as a family. Um, so there's so many things to consider. And what's important to know is that a lot of the fears that people usually have are based on uh, anxiety about the future uh, scenario that hasn't happened. So it's what we think is going to happen. Uh, and it's not necessarily what is happening. So anxiety is really based on on that. And it's important to separate emotion from reality when we explore these topics with individuals. Not to say there's not real situations and real circumstances that are truly stress-inducing and real that everyday people deal with. Uh, but that's when we have to sit down and, and look at what is the real problem we're looking at here and what are the resources available, whether it's resources you already have or resources that you need to equip yourself with to get you through. Nice. Now, we don't have a lot of time left, but I just wanted to uh, bring this up because I think it's really important. And um, talking about, you know, newer couples and having them start off on the right foot um, and when they should be talking about money. So as a dating uh, mentor and coach, um, 
I usually tell people that they should be having the money talk before the relationship turns serious. But, you know, we need to keep in mind that all relationships are different. And there really is no rule that, you know, specifies a certain time uh, for discussing finances. But you uh, should really be feeling out the relationship. Now, if you feel comfortable asking and know that your partner is going to feel comfortable answering, you know, your questions honestly, then you should ask. But it's probably wise to discuss your goals and your debt. Any debt that you have, so important, people, before you sign, you know, your first lease together, before you guys start moving in or plan that engagement party. Any last remarks on that? We have about 20 seconds. Um, you, you said it best, like starting early is key. And the, uh, the one thing I would also suggest is is being honest with yourself. Like it's it's important to understand what matters for you and, and, and leading with your values. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Where can people get a hold of you if they'd like to work with you or learn more about your services? Sure. So you can check me out. Um, my website is holisticoptimalwealth.com and also consciouseconomics.com. Um, and uh, you can add me on LinkedIn, Asil Albaba, and I'm more than happy to, to work with you. Yay. And Joan, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can reach me through my website, joankellywalker.com or Instagram, joankellywalkerofficial. And you can find me on Instagram, official Laura Bellotta, on Clubhouse as Laura Bellotta, and of course, my website, singleinthecity.ca. I have so many amazing things coming up, especially in the dating space, to help all of you find love. So make sure you're tapping in. Um, send me a DM on Instagram, and I can let you know what's coming up. Thank you so much for joining us this week and every other week. And again, happy Halloween. 